So today we talk with Shay Brown on this episode of Are You a Robot? In case you're new here, we are a series that aims to explore the biggest questions around AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing this is by gathering some of the best and brightest minds, the trailblazers in their fields, to come and talk to me about what they're doing and see if we can form some best practices. So if you enjoy these conversations, they don't finish here. You can get more of AI ethics and governance in your life by going to our Slack community. You can find a link for that down below in the description. And I highly encourage you to jump in, say hi, give us a little bit of an update of who you are, what you're doing, and why this is important to you. The last thing that I will say is we have a killer sponsor. Ethics Grade is a ratings and benchmarking company for AI. If you are interested in your company getting rated on AI ethics and governance, you're definitely going to want to talk to the team over at Ethics Grade. Feel free to click the link below and give them a shout. All right, let's get into this episode. Are you a robot? I'm pretty excited to talk to you, man. I've been uh, doing quite a bit of research on just bias in AI and uh, fairness and ethical AI. And I run uh, MLOps community also. And so it's been coming up more and more in like for people that are practitioners. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be a good chat. I, I want to get everything up though just so that i have my notes up too and what we can start off doing if you're cool with it is have um a quick intro from you like how you would describe yeah by way of introduction um so my name is shay brown uh i have a, a phd in astrophysics and so like a lot of people in this this field i I came across it sort of very tangentially. Um, and in my research, I'm a professor at the University of Iowa. And so I do research in, in, in astrophysics. But in my research, I use machine learning. And so you'd look at a galaxy and you'd, and, uh, you'd want to be able to automatically, let's say, classify a galaxy uh, without a human having to look at it. And so um, I got into machine learning this way. And then in 2018, I founded a company, Babel AI. Um, with the in, original intention of, of it being a space exploration, uh, you know, basically building artificial intelligence for space. Mm. But as I quickly, as I, I started looking at the field, I realized that here on Earth, there was all sorts of problems with how machine learning was being applied to uh, applications that make very important decisions about people. And I happened to have the luxury of having a lot of philosophers and ethicists who are my friends and colleagues here at the University of Iowa. And so I pivoted and, and we founded a comp this company uh, is now focused on uh, algorithmic auditing. And in particular, looking at the ethical implications of, of uh, algorithms, how they're used, and bias, which is sort of the, um, the thing that really started, I think, this whole AI ethics trend, the, the bias in algorithms and uh, societal bias. That is a one piece of the puzzle that we're looking at. 
But that's what our what our company focuses on is we we will come in as a third party and audit an algorithm and and give our clients some sense of what are the possible risks, ethical risks that could um, come up because of the implementation of that algorithm. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating stuff, and I really want to dive in deeper to how you look at like fairness and how you look at bias and what people can expect. But instantly, I think about something that I saw just the other day, and it was right now. I, I assume that you're doing it manually. Am I am I wrong to assume that? Like when well, you go and audit an algorithm, it's you auditing it, correct? That's right, and this is a. Uh, this is this is human powered, and so I mean that one of the one of the s- sort of slogans of our company is human oversight uh, mm-hmm. in machine intelligence. Because I think at at this point, I mean we all know that eventually it will, it will become automated, but it it will, the auditing of algorithms will only become automated when we actually know what we're doing, and I don't think that anybody mm-hmm. really knows what they're doing yet in this field. It's too new, um, and we haven't. We, we haven't seen enough of what could possibly happen negatively that mm. I think we can have any confidence that we can automate this process at this point. And so this yeah. was a, this was a, de- a deliberate decision um, to make sure that we have humans actually looking at the data and looking at the algorithms and making uh, choices and making decisions about how to intervene and how to test these algorithms. Yeah, it's, it's like you read my mind because that was really the first question that I was going to lead with was, do you see yourself doing it in an automated fashion or potentially having a machine learning model rating uh, models for their potential bias or their unethicality, or if that's a word. Yeah. And so it, it makes total sense that right now, and I think that is a fascinating point is how we don't have enough data. We don't know how this could go horribly wrong. Maybe right now you're thinking to yourself that we've seen a lot of things go wrong, but we don't really in the grand scheme of things have a good idea of what is hitting the target, hitting that bullseye yet. That's right. It's uh, The field is too dynamic and mm-hmm. new algorithms are being produced every day. There's a lot of people moving into the field of artificial intelligence, a lot of very highly motivated people. And also companies are very, very highly motivated to, to uh, increase their profits by streamlining their workflows and, and uh, things like this. So mm-hmm. at this initial phase, it's not to say that nothing, that it can't be automated. So what would happen is, at, let's say after people have taken a lot of care in how they design the algorithm and they've done the careful analysis of what are the potential ways in which this algorithm could negatively affect people, could hurt, either infringe on their rights or their just their interests. Um, and when you do that work, you start realizing, well, you know what, this, this part of the algorithm is critically important, that getting that part of the algorithm right, whatever it may be. Um, and Typically, in the community, they talk about fairness metrics and all of this, right? Um, yeah. Making sure that that it's not biased in particular ways. Now, once that's set up, once the hard work, and that's really hard human work, 
that takes a lot that takes the community and it also takes a lot of people from who are being affected by that to have a voice in this process once that's done sure then you could say all right this is the key these are the few metrics i need to pay attention to let's automate that process so that someone can come and look at and see whether my model my machine learning model is somehow behaving badly but if you don't do that work ahead of time then you can't automate it so that's that's what i mean by the automation we're not there yet yeah um, yeah it makes total eventually sense. we can i see that clearly that it need the groundwork is not laid there needs a foundation there needs to be that strong foundation still and so you were talking about these different ways that um you basically that you will look at the fairness of an algorithm or uh you will look at what an algorithm does how have you seen like the bias in machine learning play out i guess we could say i mean and we all are familiar with uh or i imagine most of us are familiar with the pieces where people are getting recommended um things on amazon we're getting recommended stuff on netflix to watch but what are ways and and then there's the more controversial stuff like with um face algorithms not detecting people uh certain genders as well as other genders uh, i think it's females they don't detect females and especially if you're of minority groups they detect you less what are other ways that you've seen things go wrong when it comes to machine learning models and um the ethics around it yeah so that's a really good question and um i mean so natural language processing does have a lot of uh there are a lot of examples where natural language processing which is not a typical cl- classification so the classic example was was um you know with recidivism and and the, everybody that sort of started the field where uh the bias was very clear and there's mm-hmm. a lot of the fairness research um and bias research has been focused on these classification algorithms and then but now uh natural language processing which is i take some natural language sentence could be somebody's resume it could be somebody's voice uh transcribed by a computer um and then i want to infer something about that person because of that language or infer something about a document right and here it's not so it's not so obvious because it's not just a straightforward uh you know classification uh and i mean it is a lot of them are classification um but it's it, the the ways in which it could negatively affect someone is is subtle And so you can imagine we've experienced a case where there was a sentiment analysis system uh which was going to be used it wasn't being used but it was going to be used essentially to rank um you know uh comments so people there was people who were making comments about uh their superior either a teacher or a manager or something like that mm-hmm. and ma- there are many many comments and an organization wanted to essentially record the top sort of most promising comments so what are the 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 highest sentiment this person was really really amazing um they wanted to get the the best of those and have those on file and then they want also the the worst ones let's see what what the kind of the most negative things were and then they also maybe would want to record some average average of those the sentiment so 
um, if you're, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the sentiment, sentiment analysis, but it, it basically just says, you know, how positive or negative is the sentiment. And it's often yep. the first, one of the first things you do in machine learning when you're learning is you look at movie reviews and you write a classifier that's going to uh, essentially do the sentiment analysis on like IMDb yep. movies. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of times when people write these sort of sentiment analysis things, they do actually use some of these data sets like IMDb. Um, to train their algorithms, and we've now we now know that there are, there's both gender and racial bias in these. So if you change, if if I say John was an amazing manager, uh, and I look at the sentiment of that, and then I say Jane was an amazing manager, at the face of things, that's an exact the same sentence. The fact that it's yeah. John versus Jane should make no difference, but the algorithm will score it a lower sentiment. Not all algorithms. This particular algorithm did. When I change that one variable, and then if you change also classically uh, names which might be associated with different uh, races or or ethnicities. So if I put uh, Muhammad there, or if I put Jerome or something like that, that also will change the uh, sentiment for no apparent reason because obviously the person's name. Uh, should not have any effect on that center. So this yeah. happens. So the problem is uh, that will change uh, how this system works. Now it turns out in this case, it's most of the, the algorithm actually did a pretty good job at finding the best comments uh, and the worst comments, even though there was this bias. So it turned out that was actually not the biggest problem. Mm. But the biggest problem we found was is that there was an offset in in the system. So there was a so basically it skewed towards I can't remember whether it was positive or negative bias, and what that actually turned out is that managers or teachers who had fewer or more comments would end up getting a skew in in the uh, average that they that they got assigned. Yeah. So it was actually the average score that was problematic because there was a problem with the algorithm. So it turned out not to be anything, but it still was it still was a problem. Um, but it turned out not to be the bias. So that's this is the case where it, it's sometimes very subtle. And what we you have to do is you have to take base the whole algorithm from input to the decision that gets made by the system to the decision and and therefore action that gets made by the people who use that information. And so we actually had to look and say how important is are these scores to the people who make the decisions in the end. Because that that has a huge effect. If they don't even look at the scores, then maybe it's not a, that big of a deal. Um, so so there's a lot of work in fi- following that whole causal chain of what we call the algorithm. Most people focus on that little middle piece, which is the machine learning part. But you have to look at the entire chain to figure out where are the opportunities for people to to get harmed. Well, and that's fascinating. This idea of from start to finish from A to Z, right? You don't just look at it as the piece that has the crazy bit of math in it. You look at it as the whole thing from what was the data, how was that data collected to who and how are they using the score that is being outputted from it. And so the this idea though, and this use case that you speak about, I, I find also really interesting because you're talking about this bias that tends to happen usually with um, when it comes to gender, right? Gender bias, I know, is a big one within machine learning. And 
I was talking about this with some friends and they were saying, yeah, one way to counter this is by flipping the names and or flipping the gender and to see if your algorithm is fair, right? That's one way to, to show like, hey, is my algorithm fair? Well, let's see. This is a feature, the, the male or female, right? So if I flip them, then we'll be able to see if they are if the algorithm outputs the same thing. But then a counterexample from another friend who was saying, yeah, but sometimes that's the whole point is we need that gender to output something different for an algorithm. And let's say that we're talking about e-commerce. If I am someone on e-commerce and I am a male or female, the algorithm is probably going to want to recommend me something different right? Uh, depending on male or female. That's a highly simplified example. I know this, but it is really interesting because for e-commerce, it's cool and between commas or between quotation marks, right? Uh, but if we're talking about whether or not somebody is getting a loan, then it's definitely not cool to be able to look at the bias on male or female or what, it's not, sorry, not the bias, but the output being different. And so maybe we could just talk about that a little bit and how these features really, it's a lot about the features that you're choosing and the use cases that you're using them for. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's highly context dependent, which go, goes back to uh, our original statement about can this be automated? And the answer is no, because the way you would, the way you would automate um, testing for an e-commerce would be very different than you would do it for uh, uh, lending or some mm. sort of insurance underwriting or something like that, or HR, where in, in those cases uh, it's highly uh, highly regulated. Um, and so it has to be context dependent. And so the question you have to ask is, who are so so we have a, a general methodology in, in our company that we that we sort of. I wouldn't say we came up with it in the sense that it's super novel or anything, but we had this problem when we first started. We we had this exact problem where, how do you approach uh, this 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 very question uh, of sort of auditing an algorithm and saying how good or bad is it and what needs to yes. be done about it in exactly. a systematic way, given that there are so many use cases. And mm -hmm. so essentially, what we came up with is this process, which which has just been accepted now for publication. So we're excited about that. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Um, and basically the way it is, is that we try to separate things in as the, the dumbest way you could possibly do it. And essentially what we have is we have, instead of having principles, which is what a lot of the things like fairness and, uh, and um, transparency and all of the end, uh, those sorts of things, that felt a little too muddled. Because when you say fairness, Oftentimes, people will talk about the technical aspect, which is like bias, which is mm -hmm. sort of a property or, of the algorithm. And yeah. then there is some normative uh, connotation. What's, what is fairness, right? And, and what yeah. fairness means is different in different aspects. So what we did is we focused on the interests or the rights of the people who are affected by the algorithm, the stakeholders. And so the first thing we do is they say, who is involved in an e-commerce transaction? Well, who, who is it? Well, it's clearly the person who's uh, 
surfing the web and they're getting the things on Amazon popping up on the right-hand side or mm -hmm. whatever that are being recommended these things. So there's the, the people whose things are getting recommended, right? The people are selling things. There's, there's Amazon. Uh, there's society in general, right? So we, so we list all the stakeholders. And then what we do is we just say, what are the interests of these stakeholders? Now, this is very general, right? It doesn't mean what they're interested in. We're talking about sort of morally salient interests, things that mm. um, the extreme end are rights, right? And these are interests which have, you know, the state would have some duty to protect, right? So in human rights would be sort of the highest level of that, where it's, it, these are interests that are, that um, the, the states have a very high uh, duty to protect those interests. But we could just talk in general. What are things that people, autonomy, right? Autonomy is one of them. Uh, they have an interest in, in, in non-discrimination. They shouldn't be treated differently than, than, and so we have all of these interests over here. And then on the other end, we have just general features of the algorithm. So the fact that it, that maybe it is, it's going to serve something different. It's going to show a different advertisement to a, a someone who's male or female or, you know, transgender. It might be something different that those people are going to see. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's different based on their race as well. Uh, and maybe that's only because of some proxy, the things that they might be searching for online or what country they're from. Um, then there's other sorts of uh, metrics, which is on the other side, besides this sort of technical uh, things about the algorithm. There's also things like transparency. Does the person, is the person aware of the fact that there's an algorithm behind that? Mm -hmm. Or do they just think that it's something very simple that just popping up whatever is the last thing you've looked at? Um, there's different, there's other aspects of transparency. There's aspects of security. Now, in some cases, uh, that person's data is being used and how yeah. secure is that? Is there uh, other features on this other side are things like potential for abuse, which is sort of different. It's, it's a, mixed a little bit with the normative side of rights, but uh, how easy is it for someone to co-opt this algorithm and say, I'm only going to send, uh, I know that you're, I want to sell these sneakers to you. And so I can target you directly and I can make sure you only see my sneakers on the right hand side. Mm -hmm. um, and that may seem okay if you're doing e-commerce, but there's also potential for abusing that. You know, there's ways in which that can be abused. And then we have to connect those pieces. So, uh, and the connection, we, we call it the relevancy matrix. I won't get into the details of that. But basically, for each of these features, we say, how relevant is it for that interest? So you have an interest in autonomy. And uh, whether, you, you know, uh, whether you know that an algorithm is working in the background, the transparency, uh, is actually pretty high, highly relevant for your right to autonomy because you need mm -hmm. to know whether you're making these decisions on your own or you are being coerced into making those decisions because maybe they, they've highly optimized all of these things. Yeah. So that's highly relevant. And so it's kind of important that you are aware of cognizant of the fact that you are being manipulated in that way for your right to autonomy, which, by the way, is actually a human right. That's, that's one of the fundamental human rights. Um, your right to non-discrimination, right, which is over on this side, that's, that's less relevant. The transparency, whether you know there's an algorithm or not there, is kind of less relevant. What you really care about is this other bias piece. Are you being shown job ads which are just for low-paying jobs 
mm. where somebody else is being showed high paying jobs. Mm. And so we have to map this. And so my, my long answer to your very good question was that it's complicated. And to say, in fact, that it's cool to do that in e-commerce is actually not a straightforward question because mm. who am I to say that you are a man or a woman? Who am I to say what your identity is at all? And you have some choice. We would like to think that you have some choice to want different things or to change your mind or to have some uh, agency in how your life goes, whether that be what you buy or what jobs you see. And so it's not a straightforward thing to think that uh, it's okay to do it in one sphere. And in particular, e-commerce, that's, that's still a gray area. And I think, uh, in my personal opinion, the more that we are, because we're thinking about this as well. We don't have any clients in this area right now, but we're looking ahead to that. And I think that the answer is, it's not so obvious. And I'm leaning towards the fact that, that it's, if you're going to be doing that sort of thing, it has to be highly transparent to mitigate the harm. It has to yeah. be obvious. I need to let you know that you're being manipulated. Well, let's talk about that transparency for just a second, because I think when you were talk, when you were saying that, like notify the individual that they are being targeted by an algorithm or they're being coerced by an algorithm, right? I don't think I've ever seen that. I've never seen a company that says, hey, look, we're uh, using this machine learning algorithm. Here's the results. And so how and when I just actually, I guess, how is that going to happen? How is there going to be a company that will just break through the chains and say, all right, we're going to be very transparent. We're going to let everyone know that they are being used by a machine learning algorithm right now? Or how do you see that coming forth and more transparency being incorporated into this? Well, I mean, I think there are companies that are doing this. So um, that are are beginning to think about how how this could be implemented. So, you know, I don't want to be quoted off the top of my head, but I think that both Facebook and Google have something akin to this. So you might have noticed something that says, why did you see this ad? So if Uh it pops up, it might be a little tiny thing that says, why did you see this ad? Or, you know, you have the option of like, was this ad useful for you or something like that? But then also, why did I see this ad? And if you click on that, what it's essentially going to tell you is you saw this ad because of X, Y, and Z. You searched for, I don't know the details of how how much transparency they go into it, but what I would like to say is that we think you are uh, a white middle-class male who shot, was shopping for watches recently, and we thought that that uh, you would want a Rolex or whatever. Okay, yeah. and we showed you the ad for this reason. Now, if if you do that in a way that people actually click on it or notice, that gives me a chance to pause uh, and to use my sort of uh, my intellect as opposed to just instinctually being manipulated online, which is what mostly is happening. They're 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 not talking to your sort of your frontal brain. Uh, that pa- that allows me to pause and say, you know what? It, do I want to be a person who's being sold Rolexes? I don't see myself as that person, and I can reflect on on my decisions, and I can maybe opt out of this. I don't want you to serve me these sorts of ads, right? And so, 
the ideal is something along those lines. I don't think anybody knows what the ideal is. Let me put it that way. Be clear about that. We don't know. This is a highly, um, this is a highly sort of debated and uh, an outstanding problem in the field. But um, the I something what I would think would be the ideal is something that actually allows me to step out of this sort of automatic, just droning through the internet, and to allow me to make a conscious conscious decision about how I want to either be perceived by other people or how much that whatever they think about me gets reflected on my online experience. Yeah. And that is true. Like now that you say that I have, uh, on YouTube seen you recommended this because people who like this also use it and they're starting to bring it more to the forefront. I'm wondering how it can be brought more into our lives so that it is something that we see and we take that pause like you're talking about and we recognize it more and more as opposed to I have it's a few clicks away and I have to really want to know why I'm seeing this random ad or I have to really I really have to not like something that I'm seeing to go and make the necessary steps or take the necessary steps and and get rid of it. So it is very interesting too that you mention we don't know what the ideal looks like yet. Is there something that for you is more of an ideal? Like when I think about it, I I think about it is very much when you are recommended things, if we're going back to these recommendation engines, when you're recommended things, it says with the recommendation, it comes with, hey, you're recommended because of this, this, and this. That might get scary though for companies because they're saying, well, we followed you all around the internet and because of what we saw, all these different data points, we recommend this, right? Uh, But that is a fairly harmless one. I know that like we were mentioning, e-commerce still, it's debatable if it's cool or not. And I see your point on that. Then we have ones that are more high stakes and... If you're looking at something, anything in HR, like you were talking about, we really need to be very, very cognizant of how an algorithm is behind our job application. That's right. And, and I mean, the high stakes, high stakes situations have to be regulated by law. Like I, I think that there's no way around it. Uh, in the case of HR, there already are regulations they just need to be enforced you know you Mm. you cannot discriminate uh when you're hiring someone and there and so um it's a matter of you know we have this new technology which is essentially kind of a black box um and it sort of it it masks some of these discriminatory practices right now whether it actually does or not i mean we've had clear cases where where it has had problems. So we know that in some cases it does happen. And so now we just have to, in the case of HR, we have to uh, regulate the use of these algorithms such that we reveal illegal practices, algorithms which are breaking the law. And, uh, And in other places we have to have new laws which 
which so in the case of like facial recognition and and, and things like this or in, in the education industry where uh, algorithms are being used and the laws are not clear or not ex- existent we have to have regulations which govern that um, and then and then it will be clearer how to make those interventions and you're absolutely right it's going com- it's not going to be comfortable for companies to reveal it's going to you know if i'm surfing the web it's it's going to not going to be great for even for my experience if i'm constantly being interrupted saying you know what you're being manipulated right now did you know that <laughs> or um, you you got to this website because we we tricked you into clicking on this thing or that that's not even a great experience for me and so but luckily there's a whole field of human computer interaction where people are working on how can I have a good experience, but also have a lot of transparency? Hmm. And so that's, an, that's where our, our work would connect up with behavioral science, sciences and these human-computer interactions and where we say, what's the experience someone can have with an algorithm, which is going to maximize their autonomy, but also keep a lot of the, the streamlined features of ease that are that make it an enjoyable experience and that's that's the problem it's just uh, it's a it but there is a solution i think and it's just we need to find it and it might be different for different algorithms that kind of, the way it gets implemented is going to be different in different spheres but uh we just have to have the regulations in place to to motivate companies to do this to, to mandate that they do it and then we have to do the research how you know how is it that we can make sure that you um, don't get your rights infringed upon, uh, but you are still able to have access to all of the, the wonderful things that the internet does give us. Hmm. So let's change gears a little bit real fast. And I think we all have an idea in our heads of why we need to be ethical. But I'm wondering, just in your opinion, like why is it that ethical audits matter? Why should we be concerned with those if we're a company or if we're a consumer? Yeah, good question. Um, so as a consumer, I think it's very straightforward. Uh, the, the reason you would care about an ethical audit is that you would want to have somebody looking at the system, that the, an al- the socio-technical system that this algorithm is being implemented in, um, who is not primarily concerned about profit, maximizing mm-hmm. profit. Okay. Now, just the way our economic system is set up, uh, companies, especially publicly traded companies, have a mandate to maximize profits and to take care of their shareholders and their interests. Okay. And if I'm a consumer, uh, I want somebody who's looking at this algorithm to make sure that my rights and interests are not be are being protected, and and there are lots of nonprofits that focus on um, protecting consumers uh, and things like that in other spheres. And now we just need to highlight this one potentially dangerous area of artificial intelligence and say we need that same thing for AI. And one of the mechanisms, one of the many mechanisms for doing that, is have a third party independent audit that says, you know what, we looked at all of this. Uh, and here are the places where you could run into trouble, where people can get hurt. And 
these, you know, th this is what you need to fix. These are the ways to mitigate that. In the case of, of uh, the companies, I think it's also, in my mind, it's also very clear. But uh, just look at the kind of scandals that are happening with, with companies now that are, that are having problems with biased algorithms. It's a yeah. severe uh, reputational risk to be implementing AI in a reckless way. Um, at the very least, uh, reputation can be affected. It could also cause um, fines, and and you could get lose a lot of money um, because you get fined. Um, and last, unfortunately, I, it's last, but uh, it's the right thing to do. So you'd also want to feel good about uh, that you are actually helping the people that that you're you're providing services to. And so companies should care because. Um, that due diligence is important. Now, someone might come along and say, well, we'll just internally do it, right? Because I'm talking about specifically third-party auditing. Somebody yeah. come, you hire somebody to come in and, and, or it's mandated, but they come in and look at the algorithm. And uh, I think internal audits are also important. And, and it's something that should be done. And, and I think companies are doing it. Um, I know of several that are doing it. And that's a very important thing, but you also need to have an independent set of eyes. And again, it's that separation of the profit. It has to be people who their primary mission for that task is not maximizing profit. And that's, that's important for everybody to have that infrastructure of trust. And if you look at the financial audit, that was exactly the problem. They, the reason the financial auditing system is the way it is, is because so many problems you couldn't, they had to have this what they call the infrastructure of trust where the the financial uh, sort of bona fides of these companies had to be vetted via third-party auditing and that allowed other people to have trust in the fact that everything was being taken care of and so i think when when this becomes a law eventually you'll find that people are going to be much freer to use uh, ai in their services because they have this sort of this ability to trust that uh, everything is being looked at in a in a, a rigorous and an independent way. And so you mentioned when this becomes law, eventually, how far out do you see that? And knowing that AI is moving so fast and machine learning is moving so fast, do you feel like it will be able to keep up with the times? Um. I think it's coming soon. I think it is coming soon. And so the fact that AI is outpacing law, we're in that period now. So right now, every day you go on the news and people who care about this, which are the people who are listening to this, they're the people who care. Um, I'm sure that they see a new article every day about this company has done, done this yeah. or yeah. this algorithm has done that, right? We're in that period right now. And so very soon, I think we're going to see that the first real regulations. So New York City is working on, for HR, they're working on a regulation now, which will mandate audits. It may not be third-party audits, but audits of, of um, hiring algorithms. Hmm. Um, in the, on the national scale, in the U.S. anyway, um, in 2019, there was the Algorithmic Accountability Act, which has not passed, but it's been proposed. And under that act, they would 
have a mandated, not just bias audits, but they actually want sort of uh, what is akin to an algorithmic impact assessment, which is basically what our company does is looking at the broader socio-technical system and doing an assessment of what are the potential impacts of this system on all the stakeholders. And that's part of that law. And so um, that could be passed this next year and, and come into effect whenever it might be the year after or maybe immediately. And so the, the, the time is now. I mean, companies now need to be thinking about this because it won't be long before something like that gets passed, either locally or national level, where they're quickly going to have to realize that they, they need to do their due diligence and, and look at how these systems could potentially affect people. So I, in my opinion, I think 2021 is going to be the, the year that audit becomes a thing that is very much at the forefront of these issues. Interesting. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating to also highlight that you're talking about things happening on state levels too. Uh, a lot of the times I think we expect like, uh, in the US, I guess, is we're expecting that the US government is going to do something, but it is just as powerful if someone can be that trailblazer on the state level and show, hey, this needs to happen. If the US government isn't gonna do it, then we're gonna do it as a state. And also you see that there's, in the EU, they're coming out with regulations. And I've talked to um, Paul McDonald about regulations and he was a bit skeptical when it came to them because of trying to put like a blanket over all of AI and saying we need regulations when there are some that are like we talked about there are very high stakes and they need different regulation you can't say that ai is just so vast you can't give like hey this needs to be uh regulated and then think that okay we're gonna go about and regulate it all in the same way and i'm wondering what your thoughts and opinions are on that too yeah i mean that's a valid point that i think it is uh, high stakes places are where you need to hit hit it first. Hmm. But um, let's take let's take this requirement, this f- sort of uh, one that is not a requirement now for an algorithmic impact assessment done by a third party as an example of a potential regulation that doesn't cover everything clearly. But if you were to mandate that, then low stakes uh, algorithms it would be a very easy job mm-hmm. and it would be, and so you would do it and you'd say, listen, there aren't any big problems with this, but it also would catch the, you know, the police using facial recognition, which could potentially be biased. Mm-hmm. And so it's a simple requirement of just transparency. Tell us what this algorithm does, tell it who it affects and tell us that you've at least taken the time to think about what are the potential negative impacts. That's it. And and make that public. And just that is going to, across the board, uh, essentially lower the risk that uh, algorithms are going to do bad things because people have to at least take the time to look at it and present that. Now, then in higher stakes situations, there might have to be more specific 
regulations. Like maybe we don't want facial recognition used by the police. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Hmm. Um, so then that's, that's something different. Then you're, you're regulating and saying that you cannot use it. Or there might be situations, let's say with lending or banking, that uh, or let's take let's take one that I that I really am interested in is uh, rental like housing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say we say in housing you can't use uh, this kind these kinds of data in an algorithm to make a decision about whether you rent to somebody, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then you have to be more specific and and actually come in and with targeted regulations because there are people who are not getting uh, housing because of something that happened in their past because of a sort of predatory lending that caused their credit to to plummet and then they can never get a house and that and that's a you know that's a horrible thing for society that this happens and it's a definitely horrible thing for these people so um that won't be fixed by this sort of transparency requirement of the algorithmic impact assessment but i think having that as the first wave of regulations allows us to then say, you know what, we're able now to identify different areas where we have to have targeted regulations. And so starting with something like this and then moving on and start tackling these higher stakes areas, I think it's a good strategy. Mm. Yeah. Iterating. You have to put something out there first just because, and knowing, right, that the first iteration of this is not going to be perfect. But we got to get something out there because it's better than nothing and then iterate on that and make sure that you continuously try to perfect it and have it be a living law so that you're constantly reassessing it. And so that's a little bit where I'm like, I wonder if we, well, I look at the US government and I wonder if they are capable of that to make it be a living law so that it is really being iterated on as opposed to just passing something and then saying, all right, we're good for the next decade or so. And so, but that may just be my pessimism. So I, you don't need to comment on that at all if you don't want to. No, I mean, I think a lot of people share your pessimism, including myself. And it's, it's, um, I think the, the problem is regulatory bodies tend to be or legislative bodies tend to be very slow to react to things. And we know this now, and we're entering a time of exponential growth and technological development. And so what what has to happen is that we, we adapt the way that we regulate things such that we take into account the fact that we're never going to be fully on top of it in terms of laws. And so, I'm also very pessimistic. They have to pass the right kind of laws that allow uh, a non-legislative body, like a regulatory body, to have broad enough powers to they themselves react to uh, changes in the technology. And so they have to give the right kind of powers to the regulatory bodies within the government. And this goes for the EU as well. such that those regulatory bodies can nimbly react to to uh, re- new dangers that, yeah. that arise because of robotics or AI or you know the fourth industrial revolution, and that's what we have to get right. And so I'm skeptical that we're going to get that right fast enough. 
I mean, I don't think we're, I don't think necessarily society is going to crumble or anything because of AI. I mean, not yet, but I think <laughs> crumble um, because of something else before that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but I think, you know, there is a chance if that, that they can, they can, if they pass the right kind of law that gives the right kind of powers to a regulatory body or m- many regulatory bodies that allows uh, for a more agile uh, reaction against technology. So do you foresee something like that matrix that you explained earlier being used as a benchmark? Like I, I think about my car and in the, I guess in the US, what are they, you go to the DMV and you have to get, if you're in certain states, because I know other states don't really care, but if you're in certain states, you have to get your car checked. And here in Europe, you have to go every year and get your car checked and they test your suspension, they test your brakes, they make sure you're not polluting too much. And I'm wondering, like, and so what you have when you go to these places to get tested is that there are machines that will test your brakes and they'll give you the score of how good your brakes are or whatever it is. And so there has to be some kind of standardization, I imagine, with the auditing from third parties. Because if you get an audit from a third party that is really intense and just is taking it to you, then you're never going to, if me as a business owner, <laughs> I'm going to choose the easy audit much more, especially if I've got something that I need to hide or that I don't want to divulge, right? Then go to the audits that are going to be asking probing questions. So there has to be some kind of standardization, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, so when I originally started this uh, company in 2018, when we started originally working on our matrix and, and our methodology for working on this, I had in my mind something like a scoring kind of system hmm. where I would score, do something akin to what you're talking about. And there are people who are working on things like that now. But I quickly realized that you know my one little tiny company is not going to set the standards for the whole world, right, or the country. And so... Um, it's going to be larger nonprofit organizations. And so, you know, I'm part of, so there's lots of organizations, organizations that work on this, IEEE. Um, the one that I'm working with now is called For Humanity, which is a, it's a nonprofit that is setting standards. You know, it's a, it's a collaborative, you know, a lot of, anybody could join, you could join, anyone could join, um, where they're iterating on standards for these sorts of audits. Um, and that's what needs to happen. And who knows what, what the final answer will be, but there absolutely has to be standards. And they have to be in industry-wide, similar to auditing sta- uh, financial auditing standards. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. And because you're right, if, if there are different standards for different uh, auditors, you're going to go with the people who are going to be an easy pass. And similar to... Uh, you know, in the U.S., when I go, if you have a get your car inspected, there are some garages that will have my cousin Jimmy, who's going to make sure my car passes. And yeah. so I go to my cousin Jimmy's garage. Right? We want to avoid that kind of thing with algorithmic auditing. So we need to have those standards. Yeah, exactly. Or like I think back to college and taking the easy class because it's like I just need some credits. I need this easy A to get me through. And then you do it if it's there and it's the easy way to do it. 
it, people will will take that easy option, sadly. So one thing that I was wondering about as we're talking about audits and looking at it, do you feel like auditing algorithms and auditing machine learning processes within companies makes the teams that are creating these algorithms less agile? Um, yes. I think the answer is yes, because it's another structure that you're imposing upon them. Mm. And so I'd, I'd, I'd like to say that, uh, no, this is no burden whatsoever and that you could freely innovate uh, at the same rate or in the same way that you are doing it now. Mm. I don't think so. So, um, but I think the cost benefit is, is going to, you know, is, is such that um, it's worth it to do it. Because you don't want to to be on the bad end of a bad algorithm. Um, yeah. Nobody does. Whether you're the company or the person who's getting getting the uh, discriminated against or something like that. So yeah. it's worth it. It's going to slow things down, but I don't think it's going to be significant amount of. It's it's a matter of education. You know, uh, when we work with the company. You know the biggest allies we have within the company because we don't just audit now because that's not something that's mandated by law. So most of what we do now is helping companies make sure that their algorithms are are fair and unbiased. And our biggest allies are the data scientists because they have their hands on the data and the algorithms, and so they have the most access and knowledge to how to fix them as well. And it's basically just an education process where you wake somebody's mind up to the possibility that there are potential dangers in this algorithm. And most are kind of aware at some level, and they're clearly very smart. And so it's not like it takes much prodding. It, you know, it normally takes me about 10 minutes speaking with a, a, an ML engineer to get them to realize that this is a significant worry. Even if it's, they, oftentimes the first reaction is, well, my algorithm doesn't use race or gender yeah. in it, and so I don't see a problem. And, and uh, it could be something like uh, an algorithm that they seem, seems very benign, like searching through medical records and organizing medical records and parsing it out. And then through sort of a Socratic style, asking some questions about who are the people who are being affected? What are the ways in which these records are being used? Do you think that there's a possibility that someone could get missed and that services could get diminished because of you are not parsing them in the same way for every person? And oh, yeah, actually, there's you know, and they'll the light bulb will come on. It takes very little time, and so um, I don't think I think in the end, once this becomes part of a standard uh, education for machine learning engineers it's going to be no problem. And people are working on that now. And I think it's not going to slow things down, down as much, but for the auditing side, that's just the awareness side of things. But to yeah. then what you need to do is you need to be very careful that as I'm training this algorithm, let's say it's some machine learning thing, as I'm training it, I have to have the right kind of metrics ticking away. I need to plot the right things so that I know immediately whether you're getting bias in there. After you've thought through what are the things I need to watch out for, you need to then be plotting those things as you're training it, and you need to be keeping tabs, and also keeping tabs about what decisions get made. 
uh, and who made so makes those decisions because that's also part of the audit. There needs to be some responsibility. People have to be held responsible for what they're doing. And so having an audit trail of how this got developed, who made the decisions, what was being optimized and why, that's extra infrastructure which will slow them down as, as it gets implemented. But the hope is once it becomes, as you say, standardized, everybody knows that uh, you just need to output these metrics for these kinds of algorithms and save them and be able to present them to an auditor when it comes time. Mm-hmm. And there are probably lots of people, and I'm sure people that you've talked to on this podcast or will talk to, that that's their business model. They want to be those people who have the platform that yeah. will show you all the right metrics. Uh, and, and you know, that's a nice, scalable, profitable business. You know, the things that we do are very labor-intensive coming in and doing the hard thinking that it takes to figure out how the hell are we going to actually do that um, yeah. in the first place. And once that kind of work has been done enough, then you come in with a nice, beautiful back end platform that just does it all for you and you get the beautiful plots. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so right now it's going to be hard. And I, no joke, it will, it will be harder work. But eventually when it's standardized, it's going to be part of the regular workflow that everybody uses. Yeah, it, it's such a great point how you're talking about you need to figure out what metrics to track before you even try and just gather all this data, right? And you are the ones that are figuring it out. And so that is a very difficult thing to do. Later, once you know what to track, it's fairly trivial to actually track that. You can have a tool that, like you said, gets a lot of VC money thrown at it and it gets implemented and it will tell you what is happening. But in order to ask the right questions, I think is the key there and make sure that you're finding these hidden biases. And so I like how you put it in, because that was kind of my next question was how you foresee the audits happening with companies that have, there's a lot of companies that have maybe one or two or five or double digit algorithms in play right now. But then for these companies that have thousands of algorithms in play, this is just like thinking about that just makes me, gives me a headache, right? And how this could be scalable or how when going back to that agile question of if every time I'm going to put something into play, it needs to first like pass the audit test then wait a minute, what do we even have in play right now? I don't even know, right? So that is a, is a really interesting question when you start breaking it down. And, uh, and I like how you said it. It's like, this is the hard part, figuring out the questions that we need, we need to be asked and what metrics need to be tracked. And the education, which I hear come up over and over on this podcast and and actually outside of this too, is just we need to educate those that are, like you said, they're getting their hands dirty with data so that they can have an open mind and know what exactly to be looking for. 
And so I'm wondering, like, do you foresee it as something that is being taught when you sign up for machine learning or when you want to go to university and your, uh, your career choice or your degree is in data science? Do you feel like that's something that now will start being taught or is it not until you get out onto the workforce? How do you foresee that education happening? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's going to, it's going to be both places. Um, I think now universities are now already you know, here at the university of Iowa. Um, my chief ethics officer for Babel mm. just taught, who's a philosophy professor, just taught a ethics of algorithms course, which had philosophy students and, and also technical students. And uh, so it's going to happen in universities and, and they're coming up with sort of certificates and degrees for that sort of thing. But it also, it has to happen within the companies because there are specific, you know, on the job learning is where, you know, every, anybody who's gone from college to work knows that you don't really use, except for your ability to think and maybe some basic math and stuff. You don't use what you learn in college. You learn it on the job. And so there has to be, in, within companies, there has to be education happening that are very specific to your particular use cases, what your company does. Um, and you're absolutely right. In these large companies where there are thousands of algorithms being developed and used, you know, like a Google or Facebook and those large companies or Amazon, um, how are you going to do this, right? You're not going to hire four PhDs to come in and look at every algorithm every single time, right? You don't. Yeah. That's not cost effective and and not even possible so which is one reason why i like if you look at the way the audits are being set up in for humanity this this nonprofit i talked about essentially what they have are audit questions which essentially force or mandate particular structures within the organization that are meant to regulate these sorts of things so uh things like algorithmic risk committees, which sounds like that's kind of a new thing. What is that, right? Well, that's yeah. what's needed. There needs to be something akin to an algorithmic risk committee within an organization whose job it is to take a look at uh, the various account for, first thing, what are we even using for AI? And then of those things that they're using, uh, trying to assess what are the risky use cases and it's their job to keep tabs on that mm. and there's data protection impact assessments that have to happen uh you know under gdpr now you have to have a data protection officer you know uh, that's something that's new that came up it's it's going to be have to be these structures that we set up these governing structures within organizations that are going to do the heavy lifting for those big organizations and you just have to mandate it it has to be you you need to have those structures in place there needs to be audit trails set up so that you know exactly when things get updated and and what you know each algorithm has to have its own sort of uh, assessment that maybe it's like, it's like a template for what what kind of tests need to be done those need to be all collected in a central location the algorithm risk committee has to be able to see those and review those. And so it is a daunting task, but the way we approach it is to say, um, if I'm going to approach a company that's massive, 
right? Here in Iowa, we have John Deere, which is this massive company that makes tractors, right? And but and uses AI at, at a massive scale, for uh, by the way. Um, you approach a massive company, you have to say, what do I need to know about this company's inner workings to make an assessment as to whether there's some risky things going on? And so then you say, okay, I need to have these kind of structures in the company. I need to have an algorithm risk committee who I can ask about what are you using for algorithms? What have you, have you done in the analysis? That kind of thing. And that's the approach you take. Now, in order to do that, to get back to your training question, that has to be training internal to the organization. And so, in fact, our, com- our company, Babel, we're producing training, alg- uh, training courses now, mm-hmm. f- firstly, to train our own people that we hire to do audits to, uh, so they understand how to do it, our methodology and just standard practice and some basic machine learning stuff so they know how to talk to people and they know what to look for. But what has to happen is there needs to be these, this sort of training which is applied at the, in, at the organizational level so people can just be upskilling themselves on the, the kind of knowledge they need to make this happen. Yeah, and it's fascinating to me when you say there needs to be this body within the company because uh, that's something that I've thought at length about. And aside from a few companies, you don't really have a – chief ethics or chief chief ai ethics position and so i suspect that will be something that we see more often as time moves forward hopefully i hope that that becomes more of a conversational piece and so i've got just one or two more questions for you i know we're running low on time Uh, i'm I'm fine okay cool well Giovanna, your coworker, uh, we asked what would be a great question for you. And she said that one thing that you would probably be able to talk about were, and she wanted to hear you speak of, were what some of the biggest obstacles to ethical audits and regulations of algorithms are. Yeah, that is a good good question. Um, I mean, the... I think at the highest level, um, capitalism. <laughs> so let me go from the highest to the lowest, right? I think that our economic structure is, uh, and the way we incentivize uh, people operating in society, that's, the, that's a big obstacle just for getting ethics done, period. Hmm. Um, in, because you have... Uh, organizations uh, who at least in the US are sort of legally people you know persons they have their their interests are purely financial and in fact they, they kind of have to be financial and and then you have society which which uh, has its own interests which are clearly um, not financial for the most part it's not what people want economic security and things like that but that's mostly because it allows for a certain standard of living and so uh, economy the way economy works is kind of a big obstacle so you have to somehow balance those two things mm-hmm. um now in terms of uh and that re- is relevant for the audit because you know currently uh there's no mandates for audit 
so if we a, hire, a company hires us to have them have us look at or audit their algorithm, um, if they're not doing it, they're doing it because they want to, yeah. right? Um, but still, there is, uh, you know, there is a, a balance between profitability and doing the right thing. And luckily, we've been blessed enough to work with companies who really care, and that hasn't been a problem, and they want to do the right thing. But not all companies are like that, and so. Um, that's, that's, that's a essential conflict, which happens with any kind of auditing, third body auditing. Um, uh, I think in terms of regulation, I think it's a, a matter of, of, of political will, you know, uh, Europe, I think is doing a, a pretty good job at, at, you know, the GDPR was a really, um, that's a, that's a high, high watermark for, uh, regulation. And I think uh, getting regulation around data, like in California, we have this now, and I think it's going to hopefully extend countrywide. So GDPR equivalent is is necessary, but it's political will because they're the way the political system works, at least in our country, is that um, because companies are persons, uh, legal persons, they can influence politics via money, and so if you are a bad actor or if you just don't even want to have to deal with having this extra structure on the outside where you have to audit things you can you can influence politics such that those things don't get passed hmm. and and so that's a that's going to that's problematic across industries uh, and so for regulation i think it's just a matter of there has to be enough political will now in the past 2 years given the number of scandals that have happened and the press that has come out about uh, AI and the dangers of AI, and not the super intelligent AI, we're talking about st- standard AI. Um, I think there's enough uh, motivation on the part of politicians that they know their constituents care about this issue. And so hopefully that's enough to get legislation passed that actually has some teeth and, and can make a difference. Hmm. And, you know, I care a lot about auditing because that's what I do. But there are all sorts of lots of other ways in which you can regulate AI, just through plain old regulation, which will ban certain things and all of that. Um, and so, you know, I, I I I fixate on auditing because that's the most fun and that's what I do. You know, but there are other ways to govern AI, both inter- within organizations and through legislation. But, but I think in the in the end, auditing will be a critical piece to that. Yeah, it seems like the right way forward and. There are a few things that you mentioned there that I wonder about. Like you're talking about these companies that you're going in and auditing and they're doing it out of the good of their heart, we could say. Nobody is mandating them to do it. And if they were to hit some kind of uh, T in the road where they say, okay, it's either we get rid of this and we are less profitable or we are ethical or sorry, we get rid of this, we're less profitable and we're ethical or we're just unethical about it. Then that's a very hard question for companies to answer if there's not any kind of weight behind it. If it's just you saying, Hey, there's this audit that I'm doing. This is what I, this is what we found. Here's these things you're not going to like. And then later they have to make the choice 
like you said, you have to be very, very interested in this uh, because of the way that the structure of, of society is built, right? We're being incentivized for these different reasons. And I, it echoes something that we've talked about on the podcast a few times of the incentivification of this is it's backwards. It's a little bit reverse sometimes and, and we really see it. And so to the point of when someone gets a, an audit from you, then what they can show, do they use that in marketing? Is it just so that they can sleep better? Is it something that they feel like they're changing the planet? Like what, what is the incentive? Why, why would they want to do that? And then how can they use it and know that it is a proper audit and all of that? Yeah. So, um, I think the biggest motivator, I mean, with the companies we're working for, I genuinely think they care about making the world a better place. So we've been incredibly lucky. and I know we're going to come across companies where that's not the primary motivator and we have to deal with that. Um, but I think the majority of companies, when it comes time to start doing this, they their motivation will be risk management. Uh, and they're going to be because of the way uh, the public is reacting to these sorts of algorithms, they're going to realize that there's a significant both compliance risk and a reputational risk mm -hmm. to deploying algorithms without having ensured that they're not going to hurt people. And so the, their motivation will be internally to say, all right, this is too risky. The audit says that this is too risky or there are these significant risks. Either there's mitigation that we could do to get rid of that risk or to downplay it, or we have to scrap it and do something different. And so that's, that's one. So in a big company that may be uh, a big vendor that makes lots of algorithms, that's, that's one motivation for them is they just move on to the next thing or, or the next idea. Um, there will be some, some cases where a motivation might be for PR Right. It, it, if it's not mandated by law, they might do it because they they want to appear like they are doing the right thing, and that's if they've already had a problem. Probably. Yeah, they might have already had a problem, and they realize that they have they need something. Right. Um, that's. I'm less interested in working with those kind of people. Not not to say that I wouldn't, because I think um, even those kind of people can be, be convinced of the genuine need for this. Um, and so, but I think there are probably a lot of people who are companies that would think, you know what, other people are doing it now. Um, we should probably do it because if we don't, we're going to look like idiots, you know? Yeah. And so there is that aspect. I'd, I'd rather avoid as long as I can working with that kind of company because in order for, especially if it's not mandated, in order for us to have any impact on a company, us meaning Babylon our company doing this or any company that does it, um, we have to have buy-in from that company that it, it matters. And so we have to be talking to the sort of leadership. We have to be talking to the, the people who make decisions and they have to be convinced that this, that, that what we're doing is, has value separate from profits. Um, and that it's the right thing to do. Uh, 
And so if we don't have that buy-in, nothing's going to get done and, and, and it may be for nothing. Right. And so that's, uh, that's the worry, which is why I badly want it to be regulated because then I can go in and just know that I'm working with everybody who needs this done. And, and I don't have to stress about that because yeah. right now I do stress about that before we take a client, we really have to think, do we want to be working with this person? Are we just going to be a PR thing or is it going to be for real? Luckily, everything has been for real. And so we're happy with that. But I don't want to have to make that choice. I'd rather just be, I'm coming in no matter what, because you need it done. Everybody wants it. This has to be transparent and we're just going to do it, uh, do our job. And that's what I want. And that's yeah. the future. And that, I think, um, you know, we're going to be one of many companies that are going to do this when that becomes, because uh, there, it's going to be a massive market. Just look at the financial audit market. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it's huge. So um, the day will come eventually. Yeah. And then the companies will give you the small room with no heat and no windows like they do to the financial auditors. That's right. <laughs> but for you, it's very true. It's, you don't need to have to think about it. If there's, there's regulation around it, you don't have to look at it as, is there a PR stunt here? Or is there some altern, alternative motives that are happening? And one thing that I was realizing when you were talking about how you're basically the stamp of approval for these algorithms, that puts a lot of pressure on you or a lot of responsibility in your hands. And so how do you mitigate that? Because I imagine there could be a case one day where something happens wrong with AI and the company says, but we got audited and everything was fine. So it's not our fault. It's the auditor's problem. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is why it's risky working in a, uh, an unregulated and unstandardized area because there are no standards. And yeah. so the way we're mitigating that, until there are standards, when there are standards, there will be uh, clear lines of transparency and uh, audit trails. You know, they call them audit trails for a reason, is that you can trace back what actually happened. Who made what decision? Was there some omission that was made? And we, and it might be that, you know, we hope that it's not something that we missed. But uh, when you have that framework of standardization, then you just make sure you check all the boxes and you do your due diligence. And that's how you, that's how you protect yourself and others by doing that. We don't have that right now. And so the way we're mitigating this is we focus on transparency. So it's, it's not, so th these are our findings. We're not saying that this system is not going to be misused or that if you update your model, it's not going to become biased. We're just saying, here's a snapshot of what this algorithm looks like right now and how you're using it right now. And, in, and, and here's all the data that we use to test this. And this is how it was done. And this is how we made our evaluation. And, um, that transparency is 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 the sort of mitigating that risk that you're talking about. Uh, we just um, we just say this is what it looks like now. That's not to say that somebody's not going to change something in the future. And if we miss something, then that's on us. You know, that is on us. If if we didn't do the right kind of tests or something happened, that is on us. But that's a risk any business takes when they when they 
um, are providing a professional service that requires some expertise, you have to you have to do your job well. And so yeah. we take it very seriously. And there also aren't very many companies that are doing this. In fact, I don't really know too many. I've talked to people. I've heard of companies that do this, but I don't know uh, for real companies that are actually in the trenches doing it right now. So um, we're some of the early people working on this. And so it's actually kind of important that we really get it right. And we, that's something that we worry about because uh, if co early companies like us get it wrong or mess up or something like that, or are used as PR stunts, right? That takes away the legitimacy. And we, we need that credibility because this is, I think critically important for society that we have this infrastructure of trust set up yeah. um, as we move forward. And so we're fully cognizant of the fact that we have to tread carefully and do a really good job and a careful job because um, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to enter this industry and, and we have to be good examples. Yeah. That trust is everything. I see that very clearly. So before I ask the last question, I will let everyone know that if they are not following you or connected with you on LinkedIn, I find it super helpful, everything that you share and just those times that it's like, oh, you commented on something. I, I cannot tell you how much value I get from the random articles that pop up from you being in my network. So I recommend for everyone to go out there and follow you or connect with you because it has been, it's been super helpful for me. Uh, I find so much great stuff. And so it's, uh, it's really cool to see what you're doing and to see how you're doing it and for you to talk to us about it. So the last question that I have is, are you a robot? Am I a robot? Uh, that's a really good question. I think <laughs> I am. I think I'm a robot in the, in the, um, yeah, in the sense of, uh, well, I'm, I'm a kind of hard determinist. So like I, I, I do, I don't know what, how people, I, I don't know how people, other people have answered this question, but, uh, I actually believe not 100% believe in the sense of like kind of type of like, uh, unwavering religious kind of belief or anything. Mm -hmm. But my general assumption as a scientist, uh, is I think that uh, there probably isn't a whole lot of free will, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, the things that I do and say right now are really uh, governed almost 100% by what's happened in the past. And so in some sense, I do think I'm an automaton very much like a robot. I'm just a highly complex one. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that uh, my experience of myself is that I have free will and that I'm not a robot and that I can do and say whatever I want. And other people's experiences of me are the same and of themselves. But I think in, in reality, probably the difference between me and a robot is, uh, is that I'm just much more complex. And, and instead of metal and wires, it's uh, electric, uh, you know, biological circuits and things. Yeah. Wow. That was a great answer. I love it. And I thank you again for talking to us. This has been. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's it was a great conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I'll let you go and get back to doing what your daily things and uh, saving the world. I really, right. really want to, again, say thanks. And I'll see you later, Shane. Yeah, thank you. See you. Cheers. <laughs>